Ladies and gentlemen, Cardinal fans of all ages, welcome to Chris and Coach Beyond the Box Score. I'm Chris Grace. I'll be your host, joined every week by current Wesleyan Athletic Director and former head football coach, Mike Whalen. Each week, Coach and I will interview some of your favorite former Cardinals and find out exactly what they've been up to. Without further ado, it's time to check in with the coach, Mike Whalen. Okay, Coach, another edition and another great guest. And man, we've got another thousand point score. We welcome in a guy who lit it up from the outside for the Cardinal basketball program. But right now, he is making serious moves when it comes to being a coach. Tell everyone who our guest is tonight. Yeah, tonight we have uh, former Wesleyan basketball player Harry Raftery. Uh, Harry uh, is. Uh, was a, obviously a great point guard here for the Cardinals here, graduated in 2017. And, uh, you know, we're really excited to have him uh, on the show tonight. He uh, has, uh, since leaving Wesleyan, has had a, a you know incredible journey so far in his young professional career. Uh, everything from playing in the uh, NBA G League to now coaching in the Big Ten. So really excited to uh, catch up with Harry. We're going to catch up with Harry in just a second, but first we want to catch up with Mike O'Brien. Mike, tell everyone how they can, you know, stay connected with our podcast. So you can stay connected with the podcast by following us on Twitter and Instagram at West underscore athletics and on Facebook at Wesleyan.athletics. You can also subscribe to Chris and coach beyond the box score on Apple podcasts, and you could contact us directly by emailing athletics at Wesleyan.edu. You heard it from the man behind the man, Mike O'Brien. Make sure you stay in touch with Chris and Coach Beyond the Box Score. But now it's time to check in with our guest for tonight, class of 2017, current University of Michigan assistant women's basketball coach. He is Harry Rafferty. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another edition of Chris and Coach Beyond the Box Score. Alongside the coach, Mike Whale, and the producer, Mike O'Brien, I'm Chris Grace, and we are joined tonight by yet another thousand point score, former Wesleyan Cardinal, great current assistant women's basketball coach for the Maize and Blue, Harry Rafferty, class of 2017, is on Chris and Coach. Harry, welcome to our podcast. I appreciate it, Chris. Great to be here. It's great to have you, Harry. And, and honestly, we've had some great basketball players on this podcast, but uh, you know, you, you're right, right up there on the list. All time three point leader in Cardinal history, thousand point score probably played during the, you know, the modern era, the best, you know, four-year window of Cardinal basketball in the modern era. So we've got a lot to talk about, but first things first, we always want to ask people is how did you end up in Middletown? How did you become a Cardinal? Um, it's a good question, Chris. I mean, you know, the biggest thing that, uh, that drew me to Wesleyan early on was, um, the vision first and foremost from coach Riley, um, you know, I knew basketball was going to be a big piece of my life. I knew I probably wanted to coach one day. Um, so I really wanted to play for a coach in college that um, I thought could prepare me for life after the four years at Wesleyan and, and give me a little uh, insight into what being a college coach is like. Um, it's funny, though, during the recruitment process, I went to Phillips Exeter Academy um, with uh, Coach Whalen's son, Jake. Um, so I got to meet Coach Whalen through that as well. And just seeing his vision from um, the athletic director, and he was the football coach at that point in time, um, I just saw Wesleyan sports were heading in a great direction. Um, and when you combine that with the incredible academic institution it is, um, it quickly seemed like a no-brainer um, to come down to Middletown. So I think that's the short answer. 
Well, just to, to build on that, though, I mean, you know, obviously you had a standout career at Wesley and there had to be some temptation for you to look at maybe an Ivy League school or a low D1 school. Did you have any of those temptations or were you all in on Wesley from the get go? I took a couple of visits to um, some Ivy Leagues and high academic, um, other high academic degrees, I should say. Um, you know, when I was at Exeter, me and my best friend, Duncan Robinson, who ended up going to that terrible school that I don't know why Coach Whalen spent a few years at as well. I'm off the road. Um, Williams, we were always about finding the best fit for us, basketball and academically. Um, and we weren't too concerned about level. That wasn't, you know, we, we didn't get caught up in that so much. Um, but finding a coach that believed in us and, and somewhere where we felt like we could make an immediate impact, that was really, really important. Um, and even though I like to uh, throw some shade at Williams whenever I get the chance, you know, Williams, Wesleyan, um, all the schools in the NESCAC, they all check those boxes of being great academic spots, as well as really, really good um, athletics, which was important to us. So um, we were okay with going to that level. And then when, uh, like I said, when I got down to Middletown and just saw how special of a community that was, I thought it, it appealed to me, like I said, with Coach Riley um, and the academic piece more than the rest of the NESCACs. Um, I decided that that was the spot for me. And, uh, and uh, you know, Harry, I think uh, it was funny. I remember uh, going up to, I don't know if it was picking up Jake or just going up to, to, to see him uh, wrestle or, or, or something and, and, you know, having the opportunity to come by and, and, uh, and watch one of your games. And uh, I think actually Coach Riley was coming up for that game. And, um, uh, I mean, you guys had quite a team. I mean, you know, obviously Duncan Robinson, who, you know, is uh, – probably in a lining himself up for a max contrast and a contract at the NBA level. Uh, um, you know, and, and it was funny cause I, you know, when I, you know, uh, I, I said to Jake, I said, you know, uh, I heard you got a pretty good basketball team this year. He says, yeah, he says, yeah, he says, we're really good. And, and, um, uh, I said, you know, I, I mentioned you and I, I told him that coach Riley was really interested in you. And he said, Oh, you know, he's a great leader and, you know, it's going to be a great player at Wesleyan if you guys can get him to come and all that kind of stuff. And, and then, you know, I think there was a, a, one of the other teammates that was uh, committed to Wisconsin, um, had a full scholarship to Wisconsin. And then, of course, you had Duncan that was going to Williams. And, and uh, you know, Jake, in, in, in true coach's son fashion, he said to me, he said, Dad, he goes, um, everybody thinks the guy that's going to Wisconsin is the best player. He goes, the best player is going to Williams. He said, he can freaking shoot the lights out. <laughs> and, and he goes, I've never seen anybody that can shoot like him. And I still remember him saying that to me that day. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, you grew up in Connecticut. You saw a lot of bad basketball. Like you finally saw somebody could shoot a little bit, you know, and then fast forward and here he is now, and you know, in the NBA and you see, you know, doing it in the, in the NBA finals. And uh, I mean, that's just amazing. I mean, just, so talk about, you know, coach Tilton and that, and that experience, that, 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 that post-grad experience for you at, at, at Exeter. Yeah. I mean, Jay Tilton, he's the best. He's, you know, and, and I say that with knowing that the NEPSAC, um, you know, the New England Prep School Athletic Conference is, has a ton of great coaches. Um, but similar to Wesley and Jay Tilton, they, they never won a NEPSAC championship um, until our class got there. Um, so he kind of, you know, sold me on this vision that, you know, Duncan and I, we, we grew up together, that us two and a couple other PGs, um, like you said, Jordan Hill, who went to Wisconsin, but 
another um, player, Chris Braley, who was a big player out of Maine, who ended up going to Stony Brook. Um, we could uh, we could build something there. Um, and, you know, after that year, that year was a big piece of why I chose Wesleyan, because when when Coach Riley was recruiting me to Wesleyan, it was like, you know, he had started to lay the foundation with Greg St. Jean and Shasha and Derek Beresford, Mike Callahan. Um, but they hadn't they didn't want anything yet. They hadn't won a championship. And after my year at Exeter, where we were fortunate enough to, you know, go 25 and one and win that championship, I was like, you know, Williams, Amherst, these schools that have historically won in basketball in the NESCAC are awesome, but I want to go somewhere where we can build something, where we can do something for the first time. And, uh, and you know, that was something that I remember a conversation very vividly in my dorm um, at, at Exeter with you, Coach Whalen, where that's what you sold me on too. You were like, listen, Wesleyan is this place where, it has all these unbelievable attributes to it, but athletically, at least in a, in men's basketball, it hadn't been there before. Um, and so, you know, I think the thing about Phillips Exeter that really set the table for Wesleyan was that, that I saw, man, this is pretty cool, cool to do this somewhere where you haven't done it before, where people get this excited that man, like it's the first time a program has had that success. Um, so that was a big piece of, of the extra experience and then the Wesleyan experience as well, just building that. Yeah, and before we move to, to your experience at West, you know, for, for our listeners that, you know, maybe don't have a really good handle on the whole post-grad experience. I mean, it's something that, you know, I, I you know, wholeheartedly support. I mean, I did it myself a hundred years ago um, and did a postgraduate year at Loomis. And obviously my son, Jake, did a postgraduate year at Exeter with you. Um, and, uh, you know, there's, there's no question that I never would have went to Wesleyan or he never would have went to Brown had we not done the, that post-grad year. So just, just kind of talk about, you know, your growth and, uh, I mean, you grew up in Iowa, right? I mean, you were, did, did, didn't you grow up in Iowa? Is that right? My, my parents moved to Iowa when I was, uh, actually at Exeter. So, oh, okay. so I, you I grew know, up you all around, but yeah, okay. so all over the map, Nevada, okay. West Virginia, New Hampshire, all over the place. So, okay. So then, you know, I mean, just talk about, you know, because I can tell you, I can tell you stories of, you know, my first week or two, you know, at Loomis. I mean, I still remember it vividly, like it was yesterday, like, you know, walking into that environment academically and just knowing like, okay, it's time I got, I got to step it up. I got to, I got to really, um, you know, match the level of, of intensity. I, you know, obviously guys like us, we've always matched that intensity athletically. But, you know, academically having to match that and be challenged in ways that you've never been challenged before. Talk about that aspect, you know, going to Exeter and the whole Harkness, you know, uh, teaching style and, you know, how, how you made successfully navigated that transition. Yeah, I mean, it definitely caught me um, a little bit off guard, coach. Uh, when I first got there, it's such a competitive, you know, academic environment. Like you said, we're used to it athletically, but not necessarily always um, academically. So. But, you know, I'm so thankful for it looking back. It was it it gave me a discipline on that end of stuff that that like you alluded to, sometimes athletes don't always have. Um, and it really helped helped me get ready for what it was going to be like at Wesleyan. You know, it's it uh, the Harkness table and how they do it at Exeter um, with it being such a collaborative effort between teachers and students. And you get there, you're, you're in a dorm and it becomes a lifestyle. You know, your days from 7 a.m. to 9 p.m. or 10 p.m. Are, are structured to a way where um, it's kind of sink or swim <laughs> to be successful. Um, and I needed that. I, I, you know, I'd always been so passionate about basketball that that year at Exeter, 
um, opened my, my eyes to what um, academically I needed to be like to be successful at a place like Wesleyan eventually. Um, and I'm so grateful for it. I had no clue. I had no clue. Jay Tilton opened that door for me. And, and, uh, and once you get into that network of people that are, you know, competing that way, not only athletically, but academically, um, for someone like me, it really changed my life. So, um, so it was, it was a great experience. I had great times with your son, Jake there, but also all my teammates and all the other Exonians. Um, I look back at that year very, very fondly. You know, going to a school like Exeter, I remember I used to go there when I was a kid because my sisters were swimmers and they would have their New England swim meets there. And I was always, I felt like I was on a college campus. I mean, all the New England prep schools have amazing facilities, but Exeter is like right up there. It's crazy. Yeah. I remember you guys had multiple gyms and, and it was just, and this is like 20 years ago, so I can't imagine what it's like now. Um, that had to prepare you as well. I mean, you know, you're, you're living away from home, you're having to deal with the rigors of academics and sports but in terms of structure it must have made coming into and this is where I'm transitioning coming into Wesleyan as a freshman and feeling pretty good about being able to contribute academically and in sports yeah no it definitely did it um you're right it's that's that was my first reaction um when I got to Exeter too was like man this place is it is it's a college campus that somehow is a high school like you know you go to the local public high school it doesn't even um, makes sense. And I went to a nice day school before that. So I'm not acting like, you know, I, like I thought my day school that I'd went to for my first four years of high school was like this incredible place. And you get to Exeter and it's like, man, this is a, just a whole nother world. Um, but you know, it's, uh, it's funny, Chris, it's, it's once you get there and you realize, okay, like these people are just normal people. Um, you know, if you're disciplined and do the work, like you can do it. That's, I think that mental piece of it is such a big, big one that some people have a tough time getting over. It's like, you know, it's the same thing in basketball um, from playing, you know, with Duncan and other players at the highest level. It's like, these people are once again, just normal, you know, people like us who uh, once you get over that mental hurdle that you can compete with them academically, athletically, um, if you're willing to put in the work, it's, it's pretty amazing what you can do. And, and, you know, talk about the, you know, cause I know, I know as coaches, you know, having, you know, recruited heavily in, in, you know, uh, with postgraduates, uh, throughout my entire tenure, everywhere I've been. Uh, and again, part of that is just believing in the, in the whole postgrad experience and, and knowing what it did for me. Um, but, you know, I think, I think, um, as a coach, when you recruit a postgraduate, you know, you're, you're really, you're treating them, you know, in, at least in your mind as someone that, when they arrive on campus, even though they are a freshman, you're not going to, you don't necessarily consider them a freshman. You consider them someone that's, that's going to have the opportunity to, should have the opportunity to compete. Um, and I know coach Riley felt that way about you, um, you know, cause I remember vividly, uh, you know, the talks we had, you know, as he was recruiting you and, you know, when he got there, when you, when, when you got to Wesleyan, you know, it didn't take long for him to, just, you know, give you the keys and say, Hey, let's go. Like you, you, you know, this is going to be your squad. Let's, let's, let's run. And, you know, and, and you were going to lead the group as, as a, as a first year. And, you know, I think, you know, having that maturity and living away from home and, you know, playing with the guys you played with at Exeter, you know, all those things contributed to, you know, you being able to embrace that and uh, you know, not be overwhelmed by it. Yeah. You know, I, I think that's true. 
also another big piece of it. And you're right, Coach Riley gave me an unbelievable opportunity to play right off the bat at Wesleyan. And, and I thought I earned that. I, I worked for it, you know, so hard for in high school. And even when I got onto campus at Wesleyan, um, you know, looking back on it, hindsight's <laughs> an incredible thing. Um, you know, one thing that allowed us to have success as a team at Wesleyan was how the older teammates embraced me, though. Um, I came in, you know, the most egotistical freshman you could ever imagine coming off the great year at Exeter and, and um, you know, just had this, this image of what my career at Wesleyan was going to be. Um, and I look back on it now, and certainly the class ahead of me, you know, with, with Jack Mackey and BJ Davis, Joe Edmonds, all those guys, Rashid Epps, um, but even the, old, the upperclassmen on that team as well, they, uh, you know, it took a special group of people um, to embrace a freshman who was coming in playing as many minutes as I was. And, you know, also where, you know, like I was, I was very emotional, especially at that age, like they, they embraced me for what I was. And, and in the latter years, when we finally did win a NESCAC championship, you know, my sophomore year and then competed really at the top of the league, my junior, senior year and got back to the NCAA tournament. Like I look back on it now and I just, I can't tell you how lucky I feel to be around the people I did. I was those four years that coach Riley brought in um, high character people that I could learn and grow from. And, and um, like I said, accepted me when I was probably given an opportunity that, that was, um, you know, I don't want to say premature, but, but definitely it could have went South if those guys didn't have the leadership capabilities that they did. Harry, talk about what it was like playing in a system. I've talked to other people about this, but playing in a system and playing for a coach where as a shooter, obviously all-time leader in three-pointers made, coach gave you the green light and you get to get him up, but he gives everybody the green light a little bit. I mean, I've done games. I did a game at Trinity and I think it might've been your last year. It could have been the year after. I think, I think Wesleyan was like two for 36 from three. And I talked to coach after the game. He said, they just didn't go down. It's like, I know, but you let them get them up 36 times. Maybe you go inside. We said, no, that's the way we play. And, I, and it is. But so as a player, that must have been a dream. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Coach Riley was really ahead of um, the pace on this, you know, analytics movement to, to more three pointers. I'll say this, though, is he let you get them up if you gave uh, a care on defense. For Coach Riley, you know, a lot of people have said that to me, man, you guys shot a lot of threes at Wesley and this and that. And then they label coaches that type of coach. Coach Riley, to his core, is a defensive-minded coach. Um, and that was something that I had to learn to your previous question, Coach Whalen. Um, I had never competed on that end of the floor like I, like I did until I got to Wesleyan. Um, no scores ever do. No, no, you know. And, uh, and I think that comes from Coach Riley, you know, his incredible background of, of his dad was such a great high school coach and this basketball family. Um, you know, he lets you get him up on offense if you compete the way he expects you to on defense. And, and that was a powerful lesson for me as well. So, but it was fun. Don't get me wrong. I, I wasn't going to hold any records if he was uh, not letting me shoot it. So, so that was great. And, and, well, I just want, I just want to jump in there, Chris, one thing, just like philosophically now, as you, as, as you, as you develop as a coach, like, is that a trait that, that you feel, you know, will be part of, of, of your mantra kind of going forward? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, and I give coach Riley a lot of credit for that. It's, you know, uh, that, that level of grit, I think is something that our team this past year in Michigan, that was fortunate enough to get to the sweet 16, we embodied as well. I think defensively, particularly at the college level, um, 
it can tell you a lot about where your team is just from a heart and a character perspective. Um, you know, that, that goes when it gets tougher in March to score, um, and, you know, refs let you play a little bit more, all that. Um, I think the, the principles and, um, and the habits more so that you build, you know, in November, December, January on the defensive end can really shine later in the year with that. So it's definitely something I learned from coach Riley, something I'm going to embrace for the rest of my coaching career. Well, I, I just wanted to point out when I was eight years old, I went and watched my father's alma mater, St. Thomas Aquinas, play Coach Riley's alma mater, South Catholic. Neither one of those schools exists anymore. Two, one was the big Catholic school in Hartford, and one was the big Catholic school in New Britain. It was a state championship game. Coach Riley's younger brother, Luke, was playing on the team. There was no shot clock. And South Catholic ran four, court, four corners for the entire second half. The entire second half. So let me tell you. He learned defense from his old man, but he did not learn offense from his old man because <laughs> stalled the entire second half. No, That's he. I've heard stories about the uh, the old Coach Riley uh, and his four corners tactics, but that's how people played back then. You know, it's it's funny. I I was reading about Dean Smith the other day, the great yep. UNC coach, and even he used to stall. It's he like, was the king of the four corners. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It was like you know, it was just a way to. It was it was a uh, strategic way to win back then. And speaking of Luke Riley, you want to talk about great coaches, man, that guy can coach too. I, I got to Now that I'm getting into this, you know, I'm not playing anymore. I got to get back to an East Catholic practice as well. That guy, uh, there's a lot to be learned at, at, from him from the high school level as well. So, you know, we, we talked about a little bit about this, but talk about what it was like being a part of a team. Talk about the, the run to the NESCAC championship, your most memorable experiences in that season. Cause it, you know, it was historic and, still is, you know, they're still trying to get back there. So obviously it, it was a historic team and a historic run. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny. We were, uh, I was talking to a recruit the other day. Um, we had a zoom, which now, you know, you have these uh, zoom recruiting calls with our whole staff. They are one thing from the pandemic that isn't going away is zoom calls. Um, so we, uh, we were going around as a little icebreaker and they asked what our favorite basketball memory was. Um, and mine undoubtedly was the uh, NESCAC championship my sophomore year in college. Um, you know, like I said, just all the, all the work that we put into that, but the, the conversations I'd had with Coach Riley and Coach Whalen and all my teammates, you know, those two years leading up to that. Um, you know, we, it, it's funny, you, you dream about it that you can win a, a NESCAC championship when you're at Wesleyan, but you know, like I said, those top schools, Williams and Amherst, um, Middlebury and basketball as well, they're so damn good um, that, you know, until you get get the championship, like it's almost like you don't know if it'll ever happen. There's been a lot of great teams that haven't won championships. Um, so it was, you know, it was special. More so than anything, it was just such an incredible group of guys. Um, you know, that's what makes championships obviously special is the people you share it with. And and I look back so fondly of, of those, those teammates um, and how much fun it was um, that whole season, the bus rides, you know, the long practices, all of it. That's what you cherish most from your college career. So it was an incredible experience. So you talked about, you know, obviously wanting to be a coach, but before you were a coach, you, you, you wanted to keep playing basketball. So, you know, you, you grinded it out. You actually got to play in the G League for a little bit. Talk about, you know, what that was like post-graduating Wesleyan up until you know, getting a chance to play uh, in the G League and, you know, kind of how you got from, because I, I saw you coached privately, did lots of, you were grinding, man. So talk about that grind. 
yeah, it was a, it was a great two-year journey um, to finally breaking into the G League. You know, I, uh, when I got done at Wesleyan, um, I think I had that moment that a lot of athletes have um, where it was, I'm not ready to give this up yet, which um, there was a lot of people in my life who were disapproving of that decision. You know, I have, I have this great Wesleyan degree. I have all this momentum. Um, I knew what I eventually wanted to do, which was coach, um, but I just wasn't ready to give it up yet. So, um, you know, I started to think about playing overseas um, and the options weren't, um, you know, anything that really jumped out. Uh, you know, I really wanted to play at a high level of professional basketball. Um, so once again, you know, I, I called Duncan up and he had one more year at Michigan at that point. Um, you know, he had to redshirt when he transferred from Williams. So he said, hey, you know, move out to Ann Arbor. We have the best training resources in the world. You know, I'm going to be a senior captain here. So I can get you in the facility and kind of get, you know, your feet on the ground out here. Um, and, you know, you just say you got to grind it out, obviously, to pay your rent and for food. But other than that, we'll, we'll figure it out. So I moved out kind of on a whim. Um, and it was one of the best decisions of my life. I, you know, I, uh, I quickly got to know a lot of the players here. I, I began training with them, playing, you know, playing pickup with them a lot. Um, but, you know, Ann Arbor, for those who haven't been out here, is just an unbelievable town as well. It has all these resources that a great university like Michigan brings with it. Um, and it was a grind. I mean, you know, I was substitute teaching on the side, Uber and Lyft driving, parking cars on football Saturdays, um, you know, doing everything and anything to, to stay afloat financially while I chase this dream. I went to, you know, more than a half dozen G League tryouts, didn't make any of them. Um, but then one came up in Sioux Falls and I played the best basketball I had in my entire life, Chris. It was, it was, uh, they were all-star break. They were down a couple people, a couple of suspensions, 10 day call-ups. Um, I got out there, I played great for a week and they fortunately needed a guy. Um, so I made the team and, you know, it was a very, very short stint. I, uh, I gotta be on one of the shortest careers ever at that level, but it didn't matter to me at all. It was, it was about getting the peace of mind and, and kind of chasing my dream. Um, and then, you know, in a lot of ways, I think I do have that peace of mind now. So it was, it was a great decision in, in retrospect and I'm, I'm proud of it. And do you feel like, do you feel like you wouldn't have the passion to be a coach if you hadn't gotten that chance to play just to know kind of that field of dreams thing? Like I got that one at bat. I got that chance. Now I know I can do it so I can move on and to the next step and, you know, kind of figure out what's next for me kind of thing. There was some aspect of that. I don't know if that was all it, you know, when I got out, you know, I got waived quickly by the Sioux Falls Sky Force for Jared Jack, a 15 year pro. Um, and, uh, and they let me, you know, they let me keep my apartment out there, finish out the season. Cause there's only a few weeks left. I moved back to Ann Arbor, which by that point after two years was my kind of training spot. Um, and I was getting ready to go. Like now I had this G league experience. My G league coach was like, no, I think you'll have an opportunity to get back in this league or at least get actual tryouts. Now it wasn't like I was driving down to Fort Wayne or, or grand Rapids, these random tryouts where 200 people were anymore. Now, at least I had some experience to build on. Um, but then Kim Barnes, Rico, the, the head coach here on the women's side, um, she started to, you know, more or less recruit me for this for a graduate assistant spot on staff. She'd see me around the gym so much. We had a number of, uh, of mutual friends in town. Um, and by that point, the key was it's same thing as Wesleyan. You know, you guys asked what, what made me come to Wesleyan earlier. You know, my parents said, wait, you can get a free degree from the University of Michigan and get your, 
you know, kickstart on a, on a coaching career. Like they had put up with a lot of crazy answers for me in the past two years. And my mom on that one was like, same thing as when I was going to Wesleyan, you got to take, you got to take that one up. That's, that's, you know, a life-changing decision again, again, a degree from the university of Michigan. So um, I think you're right. I think having that peace of mind then allowed me to be in a position where that nudge from my parents, again, got me over the edge to get into coaching, but um, it was just as much as incredible university. That was, that was an opportunity I couldn't pass up on. So Harry, talk, talk a little bit about, you know, the whole role of a graduate assistant, you know, and, and um, you know, some, what are some of the day-to-day, you know, um, responsibilities that you have and, you know, the difference from year one to year two and, you know, all those, all those uh, intricacies that maybe, you know, people on the outside that, you know, they've heard about what a GA is. They, they don't really have a clue of actual what, what the role is. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think it differs for each program. You know, your, your loyal listeners will remember Jordan Sears, I'm sure talking about it some when he was uh, at St. John's Um, for our program, it's, it's coach Rico, I think does a really good job of fitting the position to the person's strengths in it. And one of my strengths was player development. Um, I can't, you know, I come off this two year journey of trying to figure out my um, most efficient ways to improve as a player. Um, So she really leaned into that with how can Harry help our current players get better. Um, So that was a huge part of my job. But then, you know, outside of that, it's all the, the, uh, small tasks that any GA has of, you know, unloading and loading the bus on road trips and helping out with travel logistics in any way. Um, you know, in, in our program, coach allows me to get down and be on the scout team some, which is what was always fun being the, you know, starting point guard for Indiana or Penn state or whoever our next opponent was, would be. Um, so, you know, you combine that with, with class, um, you know, you get, I was going to school to get a master's in sport management when I was here. It was definitely long days, um, you know, get here at seven and, and leave at eight or nine at night most times. But, um, you know, you wouldn't want it any other way when you're getting into the business. It's, it's the best way to learn is kind of that, that all encompassing approach. So. And Harry, you know, talk about the difference being around a women's team than a men's team. I mean, I, I personally know the one biggest difference in my experience coaching both sides, but I'm, I'm curious to hear what, what, what your experience has been like, uh, the difference between being involved with the men's team and a women's team. Yeah, I mean, I think um, I'll say this. The differences weren't as much as a naive male like myself who had never followed women's basketball as closely as I should have, or wish I would have in retrospect, um, they weren't as big as I thought. Um, you know, we have an incredible group of players here that work their tails off and are great people and are passionate about basketball. Um, and it's been one of the best things about this last two years is coach Rico here. One of her biggest missions is, you know, she calls it the powerful women's club. Um, and she wants to empower women who can go change the world. And, you know, that's something that Wesleyan University really taught me as well is, you know, we, we have four males on this call right now that we, you know, it's our job as, as people in so often a position of power to help elevate the voices of minorities and, and people who, you know, historically haven't had those positions. Um, 
And it's been so inspiring to work with these kids here. You know, I'll say that. And we're, you know, we're coming off a year of a lot of social um, unrest and, and a, you know, I, I'd say a refocus on some of these social justice issues that really, really matter. Um, and after working with the group of women that I've had the chance to work with here, I'm, I think the future is really, really bright on that front. There's a lot of incredible leaders coming up in this next generation. So I know that's, you know, Chris, that's not necessarily, I, I think the route you were probably going with the question, but um, in short, it, it hasn't been as different as, as I thought it would be. And it's taught me a lot about life. I'll say that these past two years in this program. Yeah. Well, actually what I was, what I was going to say is my experience was, is that my experience coaching women as opposed to men is they're more coachable. That was my experience. <laughs> no, and I mean that. And I, I, what you said was great. And I didn't want my question to be phrased in that. I wasn't trying to compare the men's game to the women's game. I just mean the psyche in my experience coaching women is they want to be coached, whereas some men really want to be coached. But a lot of men, especially when they get to the college level, feel like they know everything. And I feel like for whatever reason, the high level women's athletes I've been around are always willing to be coached. That was my experience. That's, that's now everything you said is a hundred percent accurate. And obviously you guys are building a big time program and these are big time athletes. You're a division one athlete at any level. So there are some differences in the game, which are obvious And those differences are getting smaller and smaller. But yeah. uh, that was just my experience. So that was, that was kind of what I was, it was a leading question, but I'm happy that you, that you took it in your own direction. For sure. Yeah. I've, I've had that experience though, too, to, to your point, it's, you know, and um, it's, it's interesting. I, I've thought a lot about why that is. And I can't, you know, always get, get the answer right. But I have thought particularly, you know, we're at Michigan, a power five school. Um, like you said, these are big time athletes with when they're choosing Michigan, it's, you know, they could go just about anywhere in the country to play, you know, college basketball on a full scholarship. Um, yet it seems like their coachability is across the board. Um, and everyone it's, you know, situation is, is different. I'm not talking in any absolutes here, but overall, I bet they are a little bit more coachable. I, I think that is been something part of my experience that I've noticed as well. Harry, I think the other thing that's, um, you know, really critical to note you know, to our listeners is, um, you know, you know, you, you know, you, you did a great job of, of, um, summarizing, you know, what, what I referred to and, and actually Chris referred to it earlier as, you know, the grind of being that, you know, that, that young coach on the totem pole, the graduate assistant, the part-time coach, you know, whatever that role, um, is classified as, as at, at an institution, but, you know, we have two, two, uh, former football players, Wesleyan football players right now. Uh, ben Thaw and Ryan Shutta, who are both down at Wake Forest, and um, uh, Ben done an incredible job. He's been down there uh, two years, and and Ryan just went down there. And um, you know, Ben's you know quickly progressed from a quality control guy, you know, up to the defensive, uh, you know, back GA. And uh, you know, I, I I think people, you know, on the outside not knowing the profession you know, they look at these D1 grad assistantships and they're like, well, you know, I mean, they're only a graduate assistantship, you know, and like you said, the opportunity that's afforded to you to attend, you know, get a world-class master's degree, you know, you know, coaching and, 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 you know, one of the best conferences in the country, um, 
you know, those positions are coveted and are incredibly difficult to get, you know, and, um, you know, there's oftentimes folks that have coached six, seven years, you know, whether it be high school, college, and, you know, lower level college, and then go to become GAs at the D1 level. So, you know, the fact that you, you know, you, you kind of parlayed that whole playing experience that you had and, and the contacts at Michigan and, and, you know, I mean, that certainly positioned you, but, you know, to, to, to kind of get over that hump and get that opportunity first to become a GA and then to be elevated to an assistant is, is, is really incredible, you know? So I just want to make sure that I point that out to our listeners that, that, um, you know, I think, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, a short sample size at this point, but you, you're really off to a great start. And, you know, and, you know, personally, I'm proud of what you've done and, and, uh, you know, I can't wait to see what the future holds for you there. I appreciate it, coach. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, I'm excited. Uh, you know, and I can't say enough how much Wesleyan prepared me to, to elevate, um, you know, into the GA role and now into this assistant role. Um, it's just unbelievable. The, the, the resources and the people on that campus in Middletown and how much they opened my eyes, um, to seeing things differently or, or trying to understand other perspectives a little bit more. Um, I think, you know, I think when I look back on, on the best decisions of my life, going to Wesleyan, it was 100% one of the best decisions because of that. And it allowed me to, you know, get to this point. And I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I certainly haven't made it or done any of that yet. The work continues, but, um, you know, I think whatever, whatever praise or, or thanks I, I have, I owe to, uh, to the people before me that allowed me to do it. And Wesleyan was a big part of that. So the question I got to ask you next is, and I love to ask this question of, of young coaches is, is so, you know, you're, you're, you're on the other side now. Okay. So now you're, you're, you're viewing it through the lens of a coach. Okay. And um, when, when you look at players and you're coaching players, do you ever think back to yourself as a player and say, like, what was one thing that you think maybe that you did that maybe drove coach Riley crazy that you did as a player or was there one thing that you, that you look back now as a, as a, as a coach, because now you're looking at it through a coach's lens, you know, was there anything that stuck out in your, in your mind? Cause I remember, I remember me back when I, you know, when I, my first year, uh, you know, I stayed at Wesleyan, I coached there with, with coach Mack and coach Costi and, and, and the staff there. And, you know, I, re I can remember being in there, uh, you know, watching film late Saturday night, you know, and I remember as a player, you know, walking by the offices, the coaches offices back on Willis Avenue when they were over there um, at two in the morning, you know, probably after having one or two too many cold beverages and and looking in there and seeing the light on and saying, what the hell are those guys doing in there at two in the morning? Like what? what can they possibly be doing at this time, you know, and, and then, you know, being on the other side of it and sitting in those meetings and grinding it out in those meetings and, you know, talking about, you know, mistakes that players made or things that we could do better as coaches and kind of being on the other side, you know, it just kind of all of a sudden one time it just hit me. And I was like, man, like, you know, I wish I did that differently as a player, you know, that, that, you know, I was, I, you know, so is there any, any, did you ever have that aha moment or did you ever, Anything that you look at back now and, and say, geez, you know, I maybe should call Coach Riley and tell him, you know, <laughs> I, sorry if I was a pain in the butt on that. Yeah, I've made that call 
and more than enough, you know, a couple of times <laughs> these three years. It's just it's what we were saying before, you know, it's it's you have such a limited perspective as a player. Um, and you combine that with being in, you know, 18 to 23 year old, you know, <laughs> for lack of a better term, idiot. Um, <laughs> you know, it's it's funny. And there's been so many cases over the last two years where Coach Rico here, um, who's an incredible coach, has just opened my eyes. Like, and it does. It sometimes snaps me back to Wesleyan um, when our current players come into the office now and are complaining about something. And like, it's cringeworthy, right? Like, you're like, oh my gosh, I was that kid. I was that nuisance. <laughs> like, it was like, it's, it's just incredible. And uh, so, yeah, there, uh, I don't know if there's a specific example that's coming to mind right now, but you just, you've had, you've had the feeling. You've had the, I've had the feeling. Yeah. And it just yeah. you know, goes in line with this limited perspective that you have as a player that when you see the whole grand picture as a coach, it makes a lot more sense. Well, that's, that's part of the, you know, that's part of, uh, you know, passing. Uh, you know, making the full transition from player to coach, you know, it's, it's a, it's a rite of passage, I guess, is the best way to say it. So uh, yeah. I'm glad, I'm glad you experienced it. And I know coach Riley will be, will be happy to hear that as well. Well, he's the best about it too, right? He, he's, he always shoots it down right away. Cause he probably gets it from, you know, every former player for every, at one point of their life, but yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's interesting. It definitely is. You know, Harry, to our listeners who aren't as well informed, you know, you're coaching under really, uh, I don't even know if it's fair to say a rising star in women's basketball because she's already starting to establish herself, you know, amongst the elite coaches. But talking about someone who rebuilt St. John's, turned them into something big, it's gone to Michigan and very quickly. Obviously, you guys had your most successful season. But this is someone who is talking about the grind. I mean, looking at her coaching CV, she went through the grind. What's it like coaching under someone who's been in your shoes and who, you know, has, has done everything, you know, to try to try to get to where you want to be. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting, Chris, she actually hasn't ever been an assistant coach in, in her life. She, uh, she went from being a division or a high school coach, division three to a Delphi to St. John's to Michigan. Um, which I don't know if that's going to happen um you know again for for a while for you know it the men's coach here John Beeline had a eerily similar rise to his position and for a while here they were both coaches that had worked their way up from high school to the power five level um and that was a big reason why you know I was excited about this job was seeing how does someone do that how how do they make that climb and the thing about coach Rico is the magic in the day-to-day for her she comes to work every day after doing this for more than 25 years now um, with the same energy, the same drive. It's remarkable. It's um, and just, she has a finger on the pulse of this program better than, you know, or as well as any coaches I've seen. And, you know, coach Riley was unbelievable as well. Um, But it's just, it's amazing to see her vision. You know, when she got to St. John's, they were a three and 24 program her last year they go into Gamble Pavilion and, and UConn's 99 game winning streak and beat Gino. And then, you know, she, she could have been the coach there for life. And she saw this opportunity at Michigan came out here and Michigan women's basketball. When she got here in 2012, it was, you know, for what this university is, it's crazy how little success they had had as a women's basketball program. And in nine years now to win, you know, a double WNIT championship and get us to multiple NCAA tournaments and, now get us to the sweet 16 where we beat Tennessee 
you know, maybe the most um, historic women's basketball program of all time, and then lose to Baylor in OT. Um, you know, it just speaks to, like I said, um, she's just another shining example in my life of someone that does the work every single day. Um, she's so consistent about it. And uh, it's inspiring. You know, it really is to see what she does and does it, by the way, like I said before, with a grander mission of empowering women that are going to change the world, which is, I think, equally as impressive and, and maybe even more powerful. So it's, it's been an incredible learning experience for me. So, so Harry, one of the things we like to do, um, you know, with, with, with all of our guests is, uh, and, I, and I, I find this, you know, um, incredibly insightful, you know, doing it with, with our, you know, some of our younger alums uh, that, that, you know, that are just beginning their journey professionally is, you know, just, just if you, if you were going to, uh, you know, give advice, just, and it doesn't have to necessarily be about pursuing a, a career in coaching, but, you know, to, to, to someone that's either, you know, uh, you know, and, you know, it could be a sophomore halfway through their journey, could be a, an, an incoming first year, could be a senior, but, you know, someone at Wesleyan, a student athlete at Wesleyan, um, what, what, what advice would you give them looking back on your own experience now? It's a great question. I think the, uh, the big thing for me, which I struggled with a lot when I was at Wesleyan and even I do today is, you know, don't, don't get too caught up in what you think your journey should be down the line. It's, it's, um, for lot, you know, it's, it's a waste of time. It's, it's, you got to put your head down and work and, and yeah, you have these small short term goals that you're going to work towards, but, um, to spend too much time, you know, trying to plan out what you're going to be or, or what you want to do. Um, it's just not how life works in my experience. I think, I think, you got to just get, you know, you have these goals, you get to work, you work as hard as you can, you, you're good to people and you do so with some humility. And I think, um, you know, if you, if you do that, it'll take you in a good direction, no matter what your passion is. And then that's the last piece of it is following your passion. You know, I never, <laughs> I never thought in a million years thought I'd be an assistant coach at, you know, University of Michigan for the women's basketball team. When I moved out here um, after graduating from Wesleyan, I, I wanted to play and that was my dream. Um, and I chased that passion and I worked and I tried to do it, you know, in a humble fashion. Um, but you do that and it leads to really good spots, I think more often than not. So that'd be my advice. Great. And then, and then, um, you know, the, the, the last piece is just, um, you know, and you mentioned this earlier, you know, just in terms of, you know, uh, you know, how Wesleyan prepared you for your journey. And, you know, I, I really find that interesting because, you know, in, in today's society where the, you know, the, the, the value of the liberal arts education seems to always be questioned, you know, and, um, you know, but yet, you know, we talk to, you know, so many of our guests uh, through, through, throughout this podcast that, you know, have, you know, have had, you know, incredible experiences professionally, uh, whether it be at the professional level, whether it be at the college level, whether it be at the high school level, and, you know, consistently, they always will talk about, you know, how Wesleyan prepared them for that journey. So just kind of talk a little bit about, you know, your experience and, 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 and how, you know, the, 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 what you learned at Wesleyan has, has positively impacted, you know, your journey so far professionally. Like I said, it, it changed my perspective on the world, just opening my eyes to so many different ways to look at whatever the challenge in front of you is, or, 
or, you know, trying to understand a different person's point of view. Um, you know, I, it's funny because a lot of times I, we have that debate a lot around here because I'm around a lot of University of Michigan grads these days, which that's an incredible experience as well, right? Going to the big public university and, and there's a lot to be said for that as well, but I wouldn't trade my experience at Wesleyan for anything. Um, I think the community that's there with, with the professors and, and your peers and how you really get to know um, one another, it, like I said, it pushes you in, a, in an individual way that I don't know I would have got if I went to another bigger university. Um, and I'm thankful for it. I, I, I did not, when I came to Wesleyan, it was, you know, to be honest, predominantly a basketball decision because I was so enamored by you and Coach Riley and, and this vision you guys had. And I walked out of there, you know, four years later with that same vision and that passion, but also seeing things um, from a different perspective. And I, you know, I don't think you can put a price tag on that. So. Perfect. All right. So Harry, here's what we do at the end of every show. You've probably heard this because you say you claim to have listened to a few episodes. We can't prove that, but we're going to find out real quick whether you were lying. We're putting you through the 60 second gauntlet. Coach and I are going to alternate Wesley based questions. First thing that pops into your head, just let it go, okay? I should have prepared for this part more. I knew it was coming, and I forgot. Yeah, so that means you probably listened to the beginning parts of most of the podcasts, and then you didn't. <laughs> That's how we know if you read the Cliffs Notes or if you actually read the whole book. All <laughs> right, so don't worry. We start off easy, okay? Here we go. 60 seconds. You ready? Yep. All right. Question number one. Who is your favorite professor at Wesleyan? My favorite professor at Wesleyan was John Finn. What, what did he teach? Law, freshman year. I learned right away I wasn't cut out for it. <laughs> <laughs> Great answer. Who's the most influential person in your life? My mom and dad. Great. Good answer. Uh, what was your first job uh, once you graduated from Wesleyan? My first job when I graduated from Wesleyan, I was a basketball trainer for uh, a mentor of mine growing up. Noah LaRoche, he runs a company called Integrity Hoops. I was uh, running the grassroots stuff for him back home in New Hampshire before I eventually moved out to Ann Arbor. First job when I got to Ann Arbor, Uber and Lyft driving. There you go. Nice. All right. If you have to cheer for one, would it be Amherst or Williams? Williams only because of the Duncan and Coach Whalen connections. <laughs> All right. What would you want to be when you were five years old? Professional basketball player. Good. Who was your favorite pro at that point? At that point, it was Allen Iverson. Wow. Nice. Talk about practice. Talk about practice? <laughs> That's a good answer, Harry. What's the best piece of advice you received in your life? Best piece of advice I received in my life um, was from my dad. And it was, uh, God would never give you anything you can't handle. Nice. Good job. Um, give me three words that describe your Wesleyan experience. Fun. Um, perspective changing. Can I throw a hyphen in there? Uh, yeah, you're, you're good. And. Um, wow. I said this one's just the one that stumbles. Um I'd say, um, this, is, this is a weird one too, but grateful. I'm just grateful for it. Good answer. 
on that note, what do you most, uh, what do you miss most about your time at Wesleyan or Wesleyan in general? The people, um, most notably hurricane down in the equipment room. <laughs> oh, you just made his day. He is going to absolutely love you. <laughs> you will now be his favorite all time Wesleyan Cardinal. I can't wait to let him know he got mentioned on the podcast. Um, all right. What's the best Wesleyan highlight in the last 20 years? Can be anything. Um, basketball wise, winning an SCAC championship. Um, and I'll even put that in the athletic uh, section. Non athletics. Um, this is cringeworthy as well. I'm such a big fan of Hamilton. I know it went mainstream, but when that really took off, that was fun to watch and, and brought a lot of Wesleyan pride. Okay, well, then you might have just answered my next question, but who's the West alum you'd most like to have dinner with? Michelle Roberts. It's not going to be Lin-Manuel Miranda. It's going to be Michelle Roberts. Nice. All right, well, we'll have to try to make that happen for you. Because, you know, you you completed the gauntlet, first of all, first and foremost. Congratulations, so you can relax, okay? But the other thing that, you know, I just want to throw out there to you is, you know, Chris and I have, you know, I mean, you know, just, just humbly have acknowledged that, um, you know, anyone that comes on the podcast gets the Chris and coach bump, you know, in their professional life. So, you know, maybe, maybe we can, uh, we can, you know, try to work on Michelle and see if we can make that, uh, make that uh, dinner happen. (laughs) Well, if it did, it would be unbelievable, but that's the crazy thing. Her, you know, obviously coach Belichick, Lin-Manuel Miranda, the list goes on and on of unbelievable alums. So, well, well, you know, could have went a lot of directions with that one. Get your scissors ready, bud, because you're cutting down the nets after being on this show this year. <laughs> already, it's already a guarantee. <laughs> we've, we've won titles in, in two sports this year. And the Cubs, by the way, from our first guest are in first place. Wow. And, you know, we had Shane from the Bucks. They won a championship. Obviously, Greg. I think he might have come on the show after they already won a championship, but we're going to count it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> We continue to big, you know, big things. Yeah. Um, so, but, but, but seriously though, Harry, we appreciate you being on our show. It was a lot of fun. We're going to be following your career, uh, with everything you do, but we're going to be paying extra attention to Wolverine basketball next year. All right. I appreciate it, Chris. Um, thank you. Thanks again, coach Whalen. This was a ton of fun. I really, really appreciate it. Hey, you're, you're, we're it's great to catch up. And uh, I know I speak for coach Riley and myself and, you know, I know, you know, coach Mullen and many other coaches, uh, you know, we're really proud of what you're doing and, and just, uh, you know, just keep grinding, keep grinding. Good things are going to come your way. And, uh, you know, we, we, we couldn't be prouder of you and, and, and wish you all the best from Cardinal Nation. All right, let's do it. Go Cards. All right, bud. All right. That's going to do guys. it for another edition of Chris and Coach Beyond the Box Score. For the coach, Mike Whalen, the producer, Mike O'Brien, our guest tonight, class of 2017. Wesleyan thousand point score assistant women's basketball coach for the Maize and Blue, Harry Rafferty. I'm Chris Grace. Till next time. So long, everybody.